you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges and chapter 2. Judges and chapter 2. We're going to read a portion from verses 6 to 16. If you're new to Live City Church or you just started coming, I've been preaching a series on the book of Joshua. And uh, if you can, get your hands on it. Get, get your hands on the resources. It's on YouTube for the vodcasts, or you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or just go onto our website. And you can find this stuff out. Judges chapter 2. I'm buying you some time to turn there. Let's read together verses 6 to 16. Thank you so much for putting it on the screen. But it's really good to have your own Bible with you. Uh, Mark it up. Take some notes. Let's get into it. The Bible says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people, I want you to really zone in on this one. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 8, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, and here again, take note of this, verse 10, after that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who, neither, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and serve the Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger, see, we always, we always want a picture of a happy God. Oh, God loves you. God loves you. He's just always happy. This is, God is unchanging. Same God in the New Testament is a God in the Old. Same God in the Old is a God in the New. Have a look at this. In his anger. Did you know God gets angry? Turn to the person next to you and say, I hope God's not angry with me. I want to be in good relationship with God. I don't want to get to this point in verse 14 that in his anger, listen to this, in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over in a package with wrapping to the raiders who plundered them. I'm sorry, I added that. That wasn't actually in Scripture. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight... The hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Father, our prayer today is that words that I preach will not be Paul's words, but that the Holy Spirit would preach through me. We ask, Lord, we implore you, 
for the unction of the Holy Spirit to move in this service today, touching hearts and lives. I pray this word will come alive and bring forth fruit. That, Lord God, we will be a people, just like I was saying, when we appear before Jesus one day, he will come running to us to hug us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Set the captives free, Lord, open blind eyes, for we bless your word in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. This passage of scripture came at a time when Joshua was finishing his speech. Two weeks ago, I was preaching on it. And it's, it's amazing as you see the, the progression of the human story, the narrative, what goes on here. Because we expect the heroes of all to do the most amazing things. And it's always a shock to us when they stuff up. I think it's good because we need to see no one's perfect. And that we need a savior. But the Bible tells us that at this point in time, Joshua has now dismissed the people. He had his final preach. His final words, the words of a dying man. And now they are going about their own ways and he is now dying. And then what happens after Joshua dies? The Bible says in verse 7 that the people, they serve the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And they continued to serve the Lord throughout the time of his elders. The ones that had seen all the miracles and the healings, they remembered the stories of their forefathers who came out of Egypt. They saw the signs and the wonders in Egypt. They told the story of how Moses was able to, not Moses, but by the power of God, splits an ocean in half. And by the way, in the movies, right, you got Charlton Heston or you got, you know, Prince of Egypt. He lifts up his staff. He lifts up his hand. The waters part and the people immediately begin running, right, through that river, uh, through that ocean. That's not what happened. The Bible says that a wind blew the whole night. They didn't cross at night. They, it, it blew the whole night so that the next day when they walked, it was on dry ground. God thought of everything. It was dry ground. And it goes on. And they recounted the stories of how through Joshua they crossed the River Jordan. Same thing like the Red Sea. They recognized this is the same anointing as Moses is on Joshua. They, his leadership was established. And then the first battle at Jericho where an imp impregnable, impenetrable wall collapses. Miracle after miracle. In one encounter, angels are throwing hail down because God got so excited about the battle he took over. The Bible says they killed, more were killed by the hail than was killed by the sword. I want God to do that kind of fighting for me in my lifetime. But I've seen the miracles. I've seen God perform signs and wonders. I've seen him cure cancers. I mean, I'm, women that were pregnant, looked like they were pregnant, but it was cancerous. And it went down within the space of 30 minutes. I've seen deaf ears hear. I've seen blind eyes see. I've seen legs grow. I've seen back straight. I can't go back on that. When you have history with the Lord, no matter what doubter comes your way, you can always go back to the history and recount the things that God had done, and you can never turn your back on the Lord. But there's a generation, your children, who are not hearing the stories. They don't know the things that you saw because you're not talking to them. 
They don't know the stories that were told in the Bible. I remember a friend who was far away from the Lord. He, he, he was a guy I'd known him for years, some of the 90s. Used to, we used to gig around together. I'd sing. He's playing electric guitar in another band. we get together. And it's a tragic story because he went away from the Lord. By the time we had caught up, my wife was working with his sister, and she says, please pray for him. I won't say the name. Please pray for him. Let's call him, let's call him Mark. Pray for Mark. And so that God will do something. And, and she said, Paul, can you reach out to Mark? And so I did. I just said, I said, hey, how you doing, Mark? And he responded back, what's happening in your life? I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pastoring a church over here. You should come along. And through a series of events, he decided, this is the, 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 the cake. Like that, this is the thing that changed everything. He said that when he was started talking about it, that his children heard him talking about it in the home, out loud. And they asked him, Dad, what's church? This is a pastor's son, by the way. A pastor's son. Mother's still um, ministering. This is a broken home. The father had committed immorality. So just, just such a mess. That was the catalyst that brought him back to church. And in, while he was in church coming week after week, you can see the glazed eyes. He was so gone. His wife, arms crossed, looked upset every single service. And the kids wide-eyed, what's going on? What, what, what are we doing here? Why are we raising our hands? What are these songs that we're singing? They, they were raised as pagans, yet... The parents considered themselves Christian. Have you ever been dragged to church by your parents? I had no choice. My parents, missionaries, we were going to be dragged. I was born under the pews. I was dragged to church, but I still had to have a decision to make. But I'm, let me say this. Some of you ought to thank your moms for bringing you to church. Some of you ought to thank your dad. You're very quiet this morning. I just want you to, come on, respond. Maybe they're going to be with the Lord, but you need to clap louder so they can hear you and they know, thank you, Mom, for dragging me to church. Thank you, Dad, for dragging me to church. I remember when, my, when we had to grow up with our aunties. My parents continued ministry in Indonesia. We grew up with our aunties, and they would just kick us out of the door. Send us out. We lived in apartments, walking down by ourselves, little kids, to go onto the road where the school bus appears, and we just climb in with some stranger, apparently to go to church. I mean, you, this is stuff you never do today. You need you have to sign forms. You're checking your kids. No, they just sent us off. And, you know, I praise the Lord for my aunties for doing that to me. You are snatching people from the fire and saving them. The Bible says that in Jude 1, 23, snatching people from the fire. The children of Israel served God because their parents made them do it. Some of you second generation, third generation, fourth generation Christians, you have shut yourself off and you're thinking, I have to go to church. Can I say this, parents? Drag your kids to church. Drag them to church. Do not give them an option. Thank you. you got to be alive here, church. And don't make church a punishment. If you don't behave yourself, I'm bringing you to church. No, you just go to church. You take them to soccer. You take them to sports. You even put colors on your face. You wear the uniform. You'll set your alarm to get there early so you don't miss out on the game, and yet we sleep in for church. What are we teaching our kids? Verse 10 says, 
another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How is it possible? In the space of, I'm talking about 10 years, they were old. Remember, Joshua was 80 years old when God says, I want you to lead my people into the promised land. I want you to do battle for me. I want you to take down territory. And he did that. So all those elders that were with him, they're old. And they died out within a span of years. We're talking maybe, maybe 20 years maximum. That's about it. Remember Joshua's final words? We talked about it two weeks ago. As for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Isn't that what he said? But the Bible says the entire nation turned their backs against God. In a generation, when the old ones died out, in one generation, an entire nation, that includes Joshua's kids. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There has to be an intentional act of parents to be sowing into the next generation. These kids are just, you know, wide-eyed. And if I tell them that, that day is night and night is day, they would have believed me. If I told them that, you know, up is down and down is up, they would have believed me. Because they are ready, they are there to be taught. The Bible says, teach them when you lie down and when you get up. Speak about it as you walk along the road and when you come back home. Speak about these things all the time. Tell and instruct your children. But I'm seeing a generation of children who are lost and they don't even know their God and they don't know the exploits of their God. The Bible says that Joseph did an amazing thing in Egypt, but they came to power in the time of Moses, a pharaoh who, had, who did not know Joseph and had not known the exploits of Joseph. If you understand history, Joseph was a, remember he was in prison. He was a dreamer who could interpret dreams. And a pharaoh was disturbed by dreams and had all his wise men, uh, they had to do all their enchantments and incantations to try and figure out what does a dream mean. Not a single one could do it but Joseph. And Joseph interprets for him. You're going to have seven years of plenty. God has said, this is a dream from God. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. A famine so bad is going to make you forget the seven years of plenty. So let the king appoint some Someone who could govern and collect as much food as possible during the seven years of plenty. The king says, who better than Joseph? The man who's interpreted this dream. You know what Joseph did? He ends up collecting so much, the Bible says they could not record how much they collected. It was way beyond their numbers at the time. They didn't have Google. I don't know if they had a million or billion or trillion, but they didn't have enough numbers. The abacus couldn't go that high. So they lost count. Because of his foresight, in fact, the, the Israelites built the storehouses in Egypt for that food. Because of his foresight, they were able to survive not just Egypt, but the, nation, the known nations of the world survived the famine that was so bad across that Middle East and Africa that they were able to survive. But here's what happened. The Egyptians ran out of money. And they could no longer buy food. They said, what do we do? Sell your animals. So they sold their animals. And they said, what do we do? We've run out of money and we're still starving. He said, sell your land to the Pharaoh. 
sell our land and our homes, sell your land to the Pharaoh. And what, what I want you to do, Joseph said, I want you to work your fields like you normally do. And I think it was like 30 or 40% of everything you earn belongs to the king. Over this period of time, Joseph made the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful king in the world. He owned every square inch of land except for that which belonged to the priest. Every square inch of land because of Joseph. And this king did not know. He did not have the knowledge to understand. And because of that, he went into evil and he enslaved the people of Israel. Here's the thing I want you to understand. In order for evil to triumph, ignorance must replace knowledge. People say, you know, better I don't know. No, you, you need to know. You cannot be ignorant. You need to know the times and the seasons. You have to know the Word of God. I remember reading a book by Steve Marl. He was the he's the founder of Every Nation's Church. It's international. I remember going to his churches in Metro Manila in 2013. And in that time, in Manila alone, they had over 70,000 people going to their churches, 70,000 in one city. He's an author and he's a speaker. And in his book, Wiki Church, he writes about his early discipleship days. He became saved. And I don't, I, I, I got to admit, we need to do this better with our discipleship. But he was discipled. And he talks about how he hated having to do it because every day he was forced to read his Bible. Every day he had to pray and every day he had to memorize scripture. It was a requirement of this discipleship course that he had to do it. And he said, I couldn't wait until Friday when we could go to Bethel Church, not the Bethel Church that you know about back then, just a small church. Bethel Church, they were a church that loved Holy Spirit, signs and wonders. They loved to worship. They loved the presence of God. They loved getting lost in these things. It was awesome he talked about this. Every weekend he looked forward to that. But Steve Merle in his book, he goes on to say that after several years, when he looked back and reflected on his history when he was in uni, and he reconnected with the people that were at Bethel Church, not a single one was going on for God. Not one. And yet every single cohort of his, those people in his university class that was being discipled, everyone was either a pastor or they were in church leadership, every single one who was discipled. In order for evil to triumph, ignorance must replace knowledge. I want to say this. You have to choose to follow Jesus. Some of you made the decision the first time when you surrendered your life to Christ. Praise the Lord. That's so good. But you have to make a choice to follow him every day. That's called discipleship. And inside that word discipleship is the word discipline. We don't like that. Discipline. Where I choose to follow Christ, where I choose to give the best of my day to read the word. I, the best of my day to journal and reflect on that word because I want to, to meditate on it. I want that word to change my life. Someone needs to write this down on the collar of the person in front of them. You are the product of your decisions. Not making a decision is a decision in of itself. And there is a consequence for indecisiveness. 
The Bible tells us, I, I was reflecting on this last night, it's like, oh man, how many times were the decisions that were made? The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that Peter and 10 other apostles, remember Judas had hung himself, and 109 other disciples gathered together in an upper room to pray. Why? Because they had a decision to make. Jesus said to all his disciples that, that they were to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that was promised to them and then go and make disciples of all nations. Wait for the gift and then go. Wait and then go. 120 went to that upper room and they began to pray the first day. <laughs> we got nothing else to do. What do you do? Jesus prayed, we'll pray. And they prayed, nothing happened. No voice from God, no prophetic word was being released. So they waited the second day. They thought, let's just come back together and let's do day number two. They did day number two and God didn't show up. Day number three, God still don't show up. How long do you pray before you quit? Never or until the prayer is answered. So they met, and they met, and they met, until one day, the Word of God says, the Holy Spirit came down and fell upon them what looked like tongues of fire, and they began to speak in other languages. The language of heaven made no sense at all, and they're speaking this, what is this stuff coming out of our mouth? And then the Bible says they couldn't help themselves. They thought, we need to share this with everyone. They went downstairs at a major feast of Israel, the Feast of uh, Pentecost. And all these Jews were there from different parts of the world. They spoke Spanish. They spoke Latin. They spoke, you name it, all these different languages. And they're amazed. How are these guys doing that? Because the Holy Spirit turned the language of heaven into a language of men. And they're still speaking, not knowing what they're saying. The people said, we understand them. And so Peter gets up. And he begins to preach because they're mocking them, saying, oh, they're just drunk. Drunk? And they're speaking in other languages? It's impossible. These are Galileans. These are people from Nazareth. There's no possible way. And so he begins to preach. He says, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. Incredible message. And he gives them an opportunity to choose Christ. You know, the Bible says out of one preach, 3,000 people responded to the gospel. The Bible describes it this way. 3,000 people were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? It is not a, an act of man. This is an act of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. They realize, oh my goodness, I need to make a decision. I need to make it right now. What must we do? Here's the thing the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Paul, why were there only 120 disciples in the upper room? It was a choice they made. But remember that Jesus, thousands and thousands of people would follow Jesus everywhere, everywhere. The Bible says in one encounter, he fed 4,000 men. They didn't even count the women and the children. There could have been 15,000 in that one encounter. And then another encounter, he feeds 5,000. This is just to give us an understanding of how many people realistically followed him. 5,000 men. Again, they didn't count the women. They didn't count the children. I know, right? There could have been 20,000 people following Jesus at any given time, and yet only 120 chose to follow. And Peter preaches this incredible message full of power, full of anointing, full of the Holy Spirit, and yet only 3,000 people made a decision. <sighs> 
somewhere along the way, an entire nation chose not to teach their kids the ways of God, not to talk about the deeds of God, not to talk about the incredible things that God had done for them. They didn't talk about it. Former President Ronald Reagan once wrote about an aunt, an auntie, who took him to a cobbler for a new pair of shoes. And so the cobbler begins measuring him up and doing all that, and the cobbler asks him, uh, Ronnie, do you want square toes on your shoes, or do you want rounded toes? And Ronnie's there thinking, oh, that's a, that's a good question. You know, you know, sometimes the square would be good over here, but maybe the round is good. And he just couldn't decide, and so he went away. A couple days later, the cobbler sees him in the marketplace, and he shouts out, Ronnie! And he catches up and says, Ronnie, what kind of shoes do you want? I need to know. I'm about to finalize. I need to finish your shoes. Do you want rounded, or do you need squared? And still, Ronnie could not decide what shoes he wanted, what style he wanted. And then he came to pick up his shoes. And when he did... He found out the cobbler had made one shoe round and the other shoe square. <laughs> In reflecting on this, the president said, this taught me to never let people make decisions for me. I have to make my own decisions. I have to own my own decisions. I'm speaking to young people right now. You are standing on the faith of your father or the faith of your mother. But the Lord is saying, you have to stand on your own word, your own decision. You have to make a decision for Christ. Because getting saved is an event. Having a miracle is an event. Going through a youth camp where you experience Jesus is an event. But to decide to choose to follow Jesus every day, that's discipleship. That's the difference. Amen. Because they refuse to do these things, have a listen to this, verse 11, then. Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of God. Then. Why? Because they did not read the Word of God. I want to say this. There's a consequence to Bible illiteracy. When you don't read the Word of God, you're just as bad off as a pagan who does not have access to the Bible, who doesn't care, who doesn't know. You are not any better off than a person who, who does not own a Bible. Notice the outcome of not knowing God's Word is that the whole generation turned to evil. Parents, we have to take the time to raise our children. I'm looking at my daughter, and I mean, let me tell you, I, I don't say this to them, so don't feel self-conscious, but their mother and I, we're like, I'm not going to cry. You're crying. No, I'm crying. No, you're crying. I'm not crying. As we see our kids are leading worship. Our kids are leading youth ministries. Our kids are leading young adults ministries. And I, I, I mean, how does this happen? Oh, they were just really godly kids that you have, Pastor. No, no. I told them stories when they're toddlers because I didn't like the books the way they did it, so I did my own. I had sound effects, you know, and then David took the sling and go, the stone flew and pop, stuck into the head of Goliath, and he fell, and the kids, oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'd ask him, what did you learn from that? And they'd tell me the same story. That's great, girls. And we'd pray and say goodnight. I'd kiss them and then take off. 
Then they got old enough to read. So we'd pick up the Bible. I'd have to always read ahead because there's some rude bits in the Bible. It is R-rated. I'm telling you now. So parents, skip ahead to those sections there that you don't want to talk about. And so we would read a verse each, and then we'd talk about it. And then by the time they hit grade 7, I put them onto a Bible reading plan to read through the year. Last night, I was, she didn't know this, I was actually checking in on my daughter. I said, you know, and I said, you know, are you journaling? Because we're talking about a growth plan for growing. What's your growth plan for growing? I'm going to read the Bible every day, journal every day. Do you journal every day or do you want to just do it in a few? She goes, Dad, I journal every day. Every single day she's reading and journaling the word of God. And you think it was an accident that they're loving God? The Bible says in Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. But it goes on. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. We're supposed to be the priests who offer sacrifices in the house of God. Here's an altar. I'm the priest, and we never come empty-handed. We always bring something into the house of God because something has to be sacrificed. And the ultimate thing I will sacrifice is myself. I will set myself metaphorically on fire and the world will turn to see me burn. Nehemiah became the governor of Israel during the second exile's return back to Israel. Because the first return were unsuccessful in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They could not get ahead. They were open to enemy attack. And you know why they stopped? Because they became discouraged. Discouragement will keep you from growing in the Lord. Discouragement will keep you from becoming that man of God, that woman of God that he has called you to be. And so he returned. And the Bible says this was his strategy. He began to appoint prophets, both to prophesy to encourage the people, but mostly, here's it, to teach them the word of God. The Bible says Josiah, who was a child king, who grew up under a priest who taught him, the Bible says he wanted to bring reformation to the nation. He wanted to turn it around because his forefathers were pagan kings who were bringing Israel to its knees. And he recognized that if we don't go back to the word of God, if we don't know it so we can serve him, this nation is going to be destroyed. So he hired priests to travel around all of Israel, to every city, to every village, in every single space, to teach them the word of God. It was a requirement of every king of Israel to write the word of God, the commandments of God by hand. Every single king was supposed to write it by hand. Why? So that they would know the word of God that they would fear him and they would judge fairly. You are kings, Jesus says. You are kings and you are priests. We have to know the word of God because the knowledge of the word of God restrains evil. Let me keep going. Wow, I know it's heavy. Are you guys okay? The most effective way to ensure a legacy of faith is for God's people to know God's word. So let me give you something. Uh, as I'm reading this, I'm like, I'm so impacted by it. Like, oh man, oh man. If, if the church could get this, 
We would have generations, young and old, worshiping God, knowing how to worship in the house of God. And the roof will explode. The Holy Spirit's going to come down. You're going to see the explosions of miracles and healings and signs and wonders. It will happen spontaneously. Here's the thing that I saw as I'm reading this. Oh, I just canceled my word there. Okay, let's come back to it. Three steps to backsliding. Would you like to know it? Write it down. Okay. How to backslide in three easy steps. Here's number one. Forget the Bible. Throw it away. Do not read it. Do not follow a Bible reading plan. Okay. You can read. I used to do that. I fell away from God in university. Let me tell you my story. I went to uni. I'd always gone to church, a pastor's kid. I had to. I was in a Christian boarding school. We had chapel twice a week, church on Sunday morning, church on Sunday night. Then I went to uni. It was a Christian university, by the way. We had chapel twice a week. I went to church on Sunday morning, had to grab a lift every single morning. Things were going great, except that my Bible reading was falling behind because I had so much reading to do. So I thought, well, you know, I'm so busy that I don't have time to read the Bible. Anyone feel what I'm saying right now? Feel it? I'm too busy to read the Bible. And so I put that away in favor of textbooks, which I hated, by the way. And within a short period of time, by my second year in university, my two best mates called me, I've told you some of this story, to tell me, Paul, I don't believe in God anymore. One of them said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe in any of that nonsense. By the way, he later became a pastor as well. But here I am thinking, oh my goodness, I'm a pastor's kid. I don't believe in God anymore. I had to find my way back. And when it later on as I reflected, do you know why I fell away from God? Because I had neglected the word of God. How do you love someone that you don't know? You see, the more you read the Bible, the more you fall in love with God. You see how amazing he is. You see the promises, you see the miracles, and it changes your life. Here's how to backslide. Step number two, forsake God. The word forsake means, it's a Hebrew word, azab. It means to loosen, to relinquish. Relinquish means to let go, to permit. You know as you accidentally come across that website and it's like, hmm, I'm just curious as a man of God. Click. I was listening to David Wilkerson in one of his final preaching messages. He talked about how one of his key leaders in Teen Challenge was just a great man of God, a young man in his late 20s, married. He had kids, and he saw some correspondence, and he had clicked on a website thinking, what are these kids looking at? I'm a man of God. I'm just looking at it from a scholastic educational perspective. So he clicked on the link. And then he clicked on the next link. And then the next link. And then the next link. Within a period of months, his preaching had no anointing. It had absolutely no authority. Same words, clever, no authority at all. And his wife went crying to Pastor Dave Wilkerson saying, please, you need to do something. What happened, honey? She says he would lock himself up in the room, presumably to study. He says, I don't want to be disturbed. He'd do it for hours. 
And one time I had to go in and I threw open the door and I saw what was on his screen. It was horrible, the stuff he was looking at. No man of God should be looking at this stuff. He got sprung and he asked for forgiveness. He says, I'm so sorry. I'm so ashamed. And he wanted to repent. He goes, come on. She goes, no, I'm moving out of the house. You get your life right. And he promised her, I would, I will, I will. But he got even more hooked. By the end of that year, he had divorced her and he had hooked up with a witch. She was living with a witch. Just loosening just a little bit, permitting just a little bit. You, you can't. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Step number three, how to backslide. Follow your idol. What is idol? What is idolatry? It's when you make God in your own image. It's that thing that occupies your mind more than God. You're more excited about that. It's that hobby. And it, in fact, it occupies your money. You'll throw money at it. You will invest your money. You will invest your time into that. Now, it could be your career. You are just investing incredible amounts of time. You're neglecting your family, neglecting God. You might be, your idol might be just the pursuit of money. You want to get rich and you're pouring everything into that. There is a consequence to apathy. 